I'd like to read just a couple parts of a couple verses, then we'll have a word of prayer. And I'd like to preach a sermon to you this morning called Unlearning, Unlearning. I don't think I'll take long this morning, but I do hope the thought hits home. 2 Kings 5 and verse 11, 2 Kings 5 and 11, we're reading a, a story here. I have always pronounced this man's name as Naaman, but uh, the more I look at it, that can't be Naaman. That would have to be Naaman, I think, is the right way to say that. So I'm going to switch it up this morning, Naaman. In verse 11, it says, But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought. That's all I want you to see for now. Behold, I thought. Verse 15. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him and said, Behold, now I know. He showed up and said, but I thought. And as he left, he said, ah, now I know. He had learned something. If you would, let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Father, help us this morning. We've already been able, Lord, to turn our minds and hearts and attention towards you. Please, God, might you prepare the ground. Would you please give us all a teachable spirit? Lord, would you please let the seed fall on good ground? that it can bring forth fruit, Lord, 30, 60, 100-fold. Please, God, fill me with your spirit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, Jesus, he gave us that parable about the sower going forth to sow the seed. And the seed is the word of God. And the ground is your heart. And you can't blame the seed if fruit doesn't come up. In that parable, the problem is the ground. The problem is the heart. The problem is, how do you receive the word? So the Bible says that if the, heart, if, the, if the seed falls on good ground, it brings forth fruit. If there are thorns in the ground, if the ground is stony, or the Bible says some of the seed falls by the wayside. I've often thought about that man by the wayside. I, I got to thinking about it this past Wednesday and Thursday as we were sowing a lot of seed in Bible school and there's a lot of you that weren't there to receive that seed I wonder how much of the word of God you have flat out missed because you weren't there you weren't where the seed was falling you were off on another side doing it another way by that wayside we're going to see here <clears throat> this story of Naaman it's a wonderful picture of how somebody can get saved but I think there's an even deeper lesson that we can learn from it. So we're going to work our way through this chapter, beginning at verse number one. <clears throat> it says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. Now this is a big shot. This is a leader in the army, and he had won a great battle. And everybody gives him honor, and rightfully so. He was a man of great repute. But he had a problem, as every great man does. At the end of verse 1, it says, He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. Can you imagine? What a stain on this man's reputation. He's a big shot in society, but he's got this physical disease, at this point, incurable. And it is a nasty disease. If you've ever seen a man or a woman with leprosy, oh, the way that that body appears, it is a shameful and hurtful thing to see. In verse 2, And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, 
And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Here's a little soul winner. (laughs) She's been taken captive and she's now what most people would call a slave. She's not being mistreated. She's being handled very kindly. But uh, she, she knows that her master, Naaman, he's got this horrible illness, but she also remembers these stories of the prophet Elisha and what he could do and how he could raise uh, a dead person and how he, he could do these great miracles and, and she is passing on the good news. Amen, little soul winner. She's not in a good situation. She's somebody else's servant, somebody else's slave, but she's going to pass on the good news anyway. In verse 4, And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. You know what I see here? This man is prepared to do anything to fix the problem. Anything. He'll pay any amount. He has the support of his government. His king is saying, listen, I'll I'll send you the letter. I'll send you the money. Run down there and get the help you need. There are a lot of people, a lot of people with bad problems in their life. Whatever the problem might be, I'll let you fill in the blank. But it might be a God-sized hole in your life that you're trying to fill with worldly pleasure and nothing satisfies you. Nothing brings peace and comfort. But man, you would do anything. You would do anything to wake up in the morning and smile. You would do anything to find a peace in your heart that passes all understanding. You would pay good money for that, wouldn't you? Well, I know you would. You give it to the psychiatrist. (laughs) You pay thousands and thousands every month for your meds. I know how you'll you'll drive halfway across the country to see a specialist. And, and sometimes, listen, I'm not condemning that. Sometimes you need that specialist, but I'm just showing you we will go to great lengths to get the help we need. In verse 6, And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. Oh dear, the world always gets it wrong. The little girl said, Go to the prophet, not to the king. Come on now, we can't turn to the government and expect them to fix the problem. (laughs) If you are waiting for South Africa's government to restore order to society, um, don't hold your breath. (laughs) If you're looking for peace and joy and quietness and comfort in your heart and soul, you better go to where the prophets said you should go. Every prophet gave witness of the Lord Jesus Christ, not, not looking to the world for any sort of hope. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He says, you're you're looking for something in the world. You're going to the king. That's not where you're going to find the help. But that's what the world does. In verse 7, it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? I like this. The king of Israel is by no, man a, a, by no means a spiritual man, but he knows better than, than to believe in this speak life stuff. <laughs> he says, who, who am I that I can just snap my fingers, say the word and kill and make a lie? I can't do that. And he's a king. Am I a God to kill and to make a lie that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? 
Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. The, the, the king was on to him. He said, this guy must be trying to start a war. This guy's trying to create a problem where a problem doesn't exist. He's asking me to cure leprosy. I obviously can't. This man's trying to create a problem so he has a reason to be angry and attack. Boy, the world, you look for peace there and it just causes more confusion. <laughs> it just gets worse in verse 8. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Amen, Elisha. I'm with you there. I don't understand that piece of Jewish culture. Whenever they're brokenhearted, they rip their shirt. Man, <laughs> why you got to rip your shirt every time? You know, rip a piece of paper or something. Rip, rip any, why you rip your shirt? I, I, that's just Jewish culture. That's how they showed that their heart was broken as they would break their shirt. So he says, wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Now he's asking the king not about a culture or customs. He's asking him, why are you so upset? Let him come now to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Boy, I like that bold. That's boldness right there. He says, King, now listen up. Bless your heart. I know you can't do anything about this. They said, that, that letter went to the wrong place. Send him to me, and by the time I'm done with him, he'll, he'll know he met a prophet. Now, that's not Elisha being proud. Elisha's confidence is not in himself. He is confident that God will do something. And the same thing, I, I, I like it when a man gets up to preach and he knows in and of himself, the preacher can't do anything. He's just a, a mouthpiece. He's just going to get up and hot air comes out. That's it. But, but he knows that he's preaching the word of God and the word of God is quick and powerful and he knows that, that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation and he has great confidence that what he's preaching can change your life. And I like it when a man gets up and has that sort of boldness, not because he's confident in himself, but in what he's preaching, in who he's preaching. Brother Jim Lentz, he used to he used to tell this story. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed listening to that man preach. You may not enjoy the same sort of style, but he was a, he was a fireball. He had red hair, and uh, he was a Marine, got saved in his mid late 20s, life of drugs, all sorts of bad stuff. But after he got saved, he was a rough, rugged, redneck. He, he was from North Carolina, so he talked like this. And he'd get up to preach at a camp meeting, have 1,000, 1,500 people there, a bunch of preachers, you know. The hardest people to preach to are preachers. They are. Because the they're, they're, they're not listening. They're judging you the whole time. They're just sitting there waiting for you to make a mistake. Well, that's not right in the Bible. That's not true. He misquoted it. I mean, they're always looking for something. So he got up. And Brother Lentz, no one knew him at this time. He still, he wasn't uh, well known. He, he got up and he looked at all those people and he said, now, some of you, you're looking at me like, can he preach? And I'm looking at you like, can you take it? <laughs> he, and, and, and believe me, when he gave it, you, you had to be ready to take it because, man, he could flat out give it. In verse number 9, so Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Man, I can, can you picture it in your mind? Here comes Naaman with this big entourage. Looked like a Hollywood star, you know. All these, all the king's horses and all the king's men, you know. 
Shame. They, I just thought that through. They can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. I, I, I didn't mean to go there with it, but, but they can't. <laughs> but they can't. How did Humpty Dumpty get into my sermon? How did they... Sneaky little guy. <laughs> anyway, Naaman, he's pulled up, and it's a big show. I mean, this big cavalcade, in modern-day terms, you know, It'd be the, like the president showing up with his 10 different security vehicles and all these armed guards. And it's a big show of it. And Naaman's parked outside of Elisha's house. Now, you can think what you want. I don't think Elisha lived in a big palace. As I read through Elisha's story, if I understand him correctly, he at best had a tent, maybe a little shack. He, he, he wasn't uh, any sort of a big shot. He wasn't in it for the money. And here Naaman pulls up in front of this little, this little tent, this little broken down mud hut of a house. And Naaman's expecting this big event. And he gets out of his chariot and he looks at that little house and he says, this is it? This is where I'm going to find the power of God? Man, you don't even own your own church building. We, we got to go to a school hall? That's where 10-year-olds that's go. How could God show up there? Man, that can't be right. Verse number 10, here's how Elisha greets him. Elisha sent a messenger unto him. <laughs> that's great. Uh, send this big shot. I know he's one of the most popular people in Syria. I know that everybody knows who he is, both in Syria and in Israel, because he's a general. Everybody knows this guy. He's, he's a celebrity. And Elisha says, eh, I, I'm, I don't know what he was doing. Maybe he's working in his garden or maybe he was out back praying. I don't, I don't know, but he didn't even take time to come meet the big shot. He sent a messenger. He says, go, go, go tell him what to do. What did Elisha already say? King, send him here and he'll know that he met a prophet. And then he doesn't even meet a prophet. He said, messenger, come here, hand him this gospel track. Do you realize how humiliating this must have felt for Naaman? Verse 10, Elisha sent a messenger unto him saying, go and wash in Jordan seven times. Take seven baths and thy flesh shall come again to thee and thou shalt be clean. What a pathetic gospel track. <laughs> That's it. No question, no invitation to the church, no, no uh, signed Pastor Elisha, nothing like that. Questions or comments, see our, pay, our Facebook page, nothing. He says, you, you want to feel better? Go get in Jordan and take seven baths. Dip yourself, go to wash seven times. And Naaman looks at that little piece of paper and says, are you kidding me? I came with this big entourage with all these bags of money and, and I, I'm, I am ready, I am willing to do whatever it takes and you give me this? That's it? Who do you think I am? I am more important than this. Verse 11, you can see he gets upset, but Na Naaman was wroth and went away. I'm going to assume that he's at least in his late 40s, if not his 50s. And here he um, I is no quad. <laughs> How dare you treat me like this? <gasps> the pastor didn't even shake my hand. 
God forbid he didn't shake your hand. (laughs) He was wroth. And he went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. (laughs) He thought it was really going to be a big thing, man. He had it in his mind, right? He had... He had preconceived notions of what the church service should be like. He showed up thinking, man, they're going to have a lecker band. And the pastor's going to come right to me and shake my hand. There's going to be smoke and lights. Ooh, it's gonna, we're going to wave our hands and worship. And it's going to be so good. And I'm going to love it. And then he shows up at a mud hut. Gets a little scrap of paper. Go take a bath seven times. It's not what he expected. You know why I think a lot of people die and go to hell? Because when they hear the gospel, it's so simple. You're a sinner. You're filthy. You're defiled. You're dead in your sins. And the only way you can be clean, have forgiveness, and be born again is to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. You need to humble yourself and accept him. And they go, that's it. But I am willing, listen, I could be a deacon. I am very influential in this town. I could do a lot. You need to recognize who I am. And it's because of the simplicity of the message that they reject it. Because they had preconceived notions, if, it, if I'm going to worship God, then worshiping God means, and then you plug in what you're used to instead of what the Bible talks about when it mentions worshiping God. Do you remember Jesus met with a woman in Samaria, the woman by the well? And they struck up a conversation. Jesus says, call your husband. She says, I don't have one. He said, you said that right, sister. You've you've had five, and the guy you're living with now, you're not married to. You're shacking up with him, you fornicator. (laughs) And she says, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Yeah, I bet you do now. (laughs) So she switches the conversation. She says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain talking about Samaria and ye say you Jews you say that Jerusalem is where God ought to be worshiped and Jesus says to her woman believe me the hour cometh when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the father and then he says this classic verse he looked her right in the eyeball and said ye worship ye know not what he said madam I know you grew up with this I know this is how you've always done it, but you have no clue what you're doing. He says the Father seeks a particular kind of worshiper, a true worshiper. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And that woman felt the conviction and the weight of his words, and she couldn't argue with what he had said. So she says, well, I've heard that there's this Messiah guy coming, and Jesus said, you're looking at him. And and you know what she did? she quickly unlearned the first 20, 30, 40 years of learning. She quickly changed her mind. She was humble enough to say, okay, you've given me enough to think about. I get it. Then the way me and the way my fathers have always done it, if that's not right and if you're the Messiah, I'll follow you. And she unlearned. You know the hardest part of learning is unlearning. The hardest part to learning is admitting that for the last 43 years you had it wrong and folks it never stops I don't care how old you are 
it is true, the, the older you get, the harder it is to learn because we get more and more set in our ways. Amen, Um, Tani? Amen? Amen. It is. It's true of all of us, right? It's hard because this is the way we've done it for so long. I get it. I'm old now, kind of. Not really, a little bit. <laughs> I get it. It's not, easy to, it's not easy to say, okay, for the last 10, 20 years, I've had it wrong. But sometimes that's what it requires. That is, it takes a great act of humility to say, okay, I didn't think about that before. Now I get it. I'll change. But the reaction of most people is what Naaman did. I'm a big shot. How dare you give me the... No, I'm, I am going to do it the way I want to do it. What's wrong with my way of doing it? My way is just as good as your way. Look at what he said in verse 12. Are not... Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel. Those are rivers back where he lives, in Syria. He said, why do I have to wash in Jordan? Why do I got to do it that way? Can't I do it some other way? Aren't there many ways to God? No, actually there isn't. Naaman, if you want to be cleansed of your leprosy, there's one way, Jordan. If you want to be cleansed of your sin, there's one way, Jesus. That's it. Say, but I want to join my church and I was raised differently and I was taught this and I think if we do that, well, you can go on and on about your way, but the Bible says there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Are not Arbana, Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? No, actually. So he turned and went away in a rage. Now, unfortunately for most people, that's where the story stops. They walk away in a huff. They get angry. They get offended because they have heard for the first time in their life the way you had it planned is not the way it should go. You had it wrong. Now, I understand for an older person, we get stuck in our ways. You know what's really scary is when you find somebody in their early 20s or a teenager that gets, their, that gets this thought in their mind, I've got it figured out and refuse to listen. That's dangerous. Listen, it's dangerous older in life as well. But when you find somebody as a teenager that's unwilling to listen and learn and thinks they got it figured out. I, I heard one comedian say, he said, I'm going to call NASA and tell him about my 15-year-old son because he knows everything. <laughs> He's got it all figured out. Everybody needs to know about this kid. <laughs> oh, if we, could only, if we could only see it the way God sees it, look down on ourselves and say, man, there's so many things I don't know. Maybe I need to open up my ears and listen. Maybe I don't have it all figured out. Maybe there are some things I need to do differently. Maybe I do need to change. And, and maybe it'll be a big change, something I've always done different. Here, here's the pivotal part in the story right here. In verse number 13, it says, And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean? He said, Naaman, if he'd asked you to do something big and grand and you know, grandiose, and, well, you would have done it. We know you. you. You would like to be the center of attention. 
But now he's asking you to go down there to Jordan without anyone watching, just get in seven times. That's really easy. Master, why can't you do that? Now, now here, you see, this is the difference between Naaman and a lot of people. Naaman, with all of his reputation, with all of his worldly accolades, with, with all of the attention he got being a celebrity, he was willing to listen to somebody under him. They came to him and said, Master, can we reason with you? Did you know some people you cannot reason with them? They will not listen. They get so hard-headed. Do you mind if I preach just for a moment? A lot of you men are just like that. Your wife has something really profitable to say to you and you won't listen because, bless God, I'm the man of the house. Can't tell me wrong. I'll tell you, woman. Naaman, you need to humble yourself. Quit walking off in a, in a, in a rage, in a, in a fit, and listen. She might actually have something very helpful to say. Could change your life. It says in verse 13 that they approached him and, and he was approachable. He never answered their questions. He just took action. Verse 14, then went he down. I like that. He humbled himself in more than one way, right? He went down, I mean, physically into the water, but he also went down emotionally and spiritually. He had to humble himself to say, okay, he had just said, that's ridiculous. I can go home and do that. And now he's listened to reason and said, I'll change my ways. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. He said, I'll do what the preacher said. You know what I've often said? If you'd like to get saved, you can can raise your hand and we'll pray for you I've, I've invited people to come down to the front you know why a lot of people don't it's not because they don't want to get saved they're afraid of what other people might think if they come down to the front and they think that's not the way I was raised in the church I grew up in we don't do that and I know that you can get saved at your seat but you can also get saved up here in the front and if the preacher says hey come on up here and pray why not why not give it a try? Well, you see, we get it stuck in our heads. Well, I go to a cell group and, and I don't believe that you have to go to church three times on Sunday. And I don't believe in going to church in the midweek. I think I'm fine the way I am. What, what if you actually took seriously what the preacher is recommending and say, maybe I could change my life around a little bit because there's some help for me waiting in Jordan, but I have to humble myself to get the help. I have to put myself in a position to get the help. He says, it says here, he went down, dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Don't you remember what Jesus said? Except you humble yourself and become as a little child, you can't enter the kingdom. This is a wonderful picture of born again. He goes in an old, filthy Naaman. He comes out fresh and new and clean. Therefore, if any man be in Christ. The Bible says he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. You know, since I've come to Africa, I've seen, I've seen this happen on a few occasions. When I started off here in Potch, not, not too long after we got the church up and running, we had an Uwam join the church. And this Uwam, he heard me talking about going out on the streets and witnessing. You know what that guy did? 
he actually pitched up on a Saturday morning. Came out witnessing with me. I couldn't believe it. In his 70s, a professional man. Well-educated. Well-known. You know what that man told me? Something I'll never forget. Blew me away. He said, Pastor, do you mind if I shadow you today? I said, sir, I'd be honored. So he's going to be my silent partner. He's going to listen as I talk to people. And as we're walking down the sidewalk in the CBD, this man stopped me, got my attention, and said, Pastor, may I ask a favor of you? I said, yes, sir, anything. He said, I would really like to learn how to do this better. So if you hear me doing or saying anything that's not right, please feel free to tell me because I'd like to learn. It took me a second to process that because I'm thinking now, how would I go about actually telling him? I would feel so awkward and out of place, but he is asking for this kind of help. You know, I don't, you don't find that very often. Do you realize how rare that is to find someone who's still hungry to learn even at that age, in his 70s? I struggle to find people in their 20s with that good of an attitude, with that teachable of a spirit who want to grow, who want to learn. If you've ever had a prayer meeting with this man, and some of you will know who I'm speaking of, when he gets down to pray, I, I love to pray next to this man because he says, oh God, change us and put me at the front of the line. Start with me, God. Help me. Change me. You know what he's done? He's taught me something that I'll never forget. He, he, he has set an example so that when I am growing older and older and into my 70s, I, by the grace of God, I'll never forget the example he's given I don't want to think that I've got it all figured out. I want God to be able to teach me and change me and show me if I've got it wrong. I want to have a teachable spirit. All of us have preconceived notions. You're not wrong for having them. That's part of being a human being. You think things through. You think this is how it's going to be. It's okay to show up with a preconceived notion as long as you're not so hard-hearted that that notion cannot be changed. Do you understand the difference? You show up and go, this is different equals this is wrong. Hey, don't be so hard. Don't be so quick to judge it. It's not what I expected, but let me take a look at the Bible and compare it with that and see if it's actually right. Is this a, is this a good way to do it? And if it is, run with it. Some of you will remember Um Franz passed away a few years ago. Um Franz went through discipleship four and a half times. Four and a half times. That man kept coming out. He'd have his notebook. He'd have his computer. He'd bring his, his tablet out. His, uh, what was it? A, a, a tablet or iPad or whatever it was. And he couldn't figure out the volume on it. So you could hear him typing the whole class. <laughs> <laughs> that man wanted to learn. He's in his late 70s. He, he showed up to Bible school. He was there before I got there. Came to all the Bible school classes, all the discipleship classes. Um, Franz had such a teachable spirit. You know what he would do? I would cover something in class that he didn't agree with. Something that he hadn't heard before. And he'd been saved 30, 40 years, so he'd, he'd been around a little while. He'd done his homework, and he didn't agree with it. But I'd given the verses, and, and he could see, okay, what he had before was wrong. So he'd, he'd come and he'd write up to me and say, Pastor, you know, he had that 
problem with his speech. He said, Pastor, I'm angry at you. I said, why? He said, you proved me wrong. <laughs> why do you do that? <laughs> oh, that man, he, he had the idea that if you're saved, God should heal you. That's what he believed. He believed that by Jesus' stripes, we shall be physically healed. And that, guys, that's not a biblical teaching. His stripes heal us spiritually. But he had always believed that his cancer would go away because Jesus died on the cross and took those stripes. And I taught in Sunday school one day that that's not true. And I explained the whole situation. He came that Sunday night and I said, Um, Franz, hand of me And he said, really bad. I said, what's wrong? He said, I'm angry at you. I said, what's wrong? And he began to cry. And he said, for 30 years, I've believed that God would heal me. And now you think God won't heal me. I think it's the only time I've ever considered lying to a person to make him feel better. <laughs> I felt so bad. I said, oh man, I, I'm so sorry, brother, that you're angry. But then a few days later, he was in the hospital. His cancer started to get worse. And I went to visit him. And you know what Um Franz did? He said, Pastor, sit down. I said, yes. And he said, thank you for teaching me the truth. He said, now I'm just relying on the grace of God and it is sufficient. And he was a happy man. And he died happy like that. Not, not expecting God to do something that, that God wasn't going to do. Humility. He was ready to unlearn. How about you? How about you? In verse number 14, or 15 rather, I'm sorry, it says, and he returned to the man of God he and all his company and came and stood before him and said behold now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel now therefore I pray thee take a blessing of thy servant he was prepared to pay for this healing he got it for free he didn't have to pay any money all he had to do is obey what the prophet said. The prophet said, get into Jordan. All right? You've come today. You say, I want to go to heaven when I die. I want to have a relationship with God now. I want the Holy Spirit to live in my heart. Here's how you do it. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You don't have to get into Jordan. You have to get into Jesus. Say, so how much do I have to pay? Nothing. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But, but it's going to require you admitting I have been wrong. And my best efforts are not enough. My abana and farpar are not good enough. And the way my fathers have always done it and the way they've always worshipped, not good enough. I'm coming to Christ and I... Lord, I humble myself at the foot of the cross and I say, I'm, I'm not good enough to save myself. I'm not good enough to, to, to fellowship with you. Please save me. It starts with you humbling yourself. It starts with you being teachable and unlearning those preconceived notions. Say, Pastor, I'm already saved. Well, amen, then ask God this. God, is there something I'm hanging on to this morning? Is there a way that I'm living that I've always done it this way, but maybe it's not the right way. Maybe I need to make some changes. 
God, would you please put your finger on it and help me to be teachable, moldable. Let's all stand if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Would you give us just a moment? Please, please, would you consider in your heart what you've heard this morning and ask the Lord this morning, what do you want me to do about this? man told me once, he said, Pastor, it's so good. We, we, have, we have some really influential people in this church. And they mentioned a few names. And I thought to myself, what good is their reputation in our church? God is no respecter of persons. Naaman, you can come with all of your honor and all of your reputation, but you're going to have to leave it at the door if you're going to get anything from God. Because in here, we're just sinners. Saved by grace. That's it. How about you, sinner? Are you struggling with the leprosy of sin? You can't get rid of it? incurable maybe you've been trusting your religion trusting your good works you've never taken your faith out of what you're doing and put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross would you, would you do that this morning would you be willing to admit I've never been saved but today I want to get saved if you're like that, would you slip your hand up? You can put it right back down. Say, preacher, pray. For, thank you, I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you for the honesty. Anyone else? Say, preacher, pray for me. Thank you. Thank you. Right where you're at, you can go to your knees. Say, Lord, I don't deserve to be saved. I'm just a sinner. Please come into my heart. Please save me. I believe that you died for me and that's enough to save me. Would you do that? Would you do that? Amen. Say, why do I have to go to my knee? Why not? Boy, isn't that something? Wow. 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 Thank you, Lord. Tremendous. God resisteth the proud but it says he gives grace to the lowly 
to give you Christians, there's some people praying to get saved now. Down on their knees now. Christian, maybe you, maybe you've been hanging on to a few things. You think, well, my way is just as good as that. You just won't try it the Bible way. Why don't you this morning say, God, put your finger on what you want me to do different and I'll do it. It might, listen, it might take a little while to stick. You can't get in Jordan just once. Might have to get in there seven, eight, ten, twelve times. Just to get used to it. But make the change. Be teachable. Father, thank you this morning for the lesson we learned in Naaman. Help us to be approachable. Help us, Lord, to have ears to hear. God, please, we want you to feel free to put your finger on the things in our lives that need to change we want to worship you the way you desire to be worshipped God help us to be soft the ground of our heart to be soft free of thorns free of distractions so the seed can drop in bear fruit God thank you for saving souls this morning Lord you know their hearts I can only assume as those people went to their knees that they were receiving you. Oh God, thank you for saving sinners. Lord, before we came to you, all we did was think we have it figured out and then after we meet you, we walk away and say, I know. Now I know. Thank you for the assurance you give us. Lord, would you please dismiss us with your blessing this morning? Bring us back hungry, ready to learn more tonight. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.